Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. I want to invite you now to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to begin this morning by refamiliarizing ourselves with the Christmas story, reading from verses 1 through to 11. Luke 2, verses 1 through to 11. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy That will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. Now, how does this good news, this good news first heralded now nearly 2,000 years ago, how does this good news of the birth of a baby boy rise above the deafening noise of all of the bad news? How does this good news rise above news of wars and rumors of wars, pandemics and rumors of pandemics, bleak economic and environmental forecasts? How does this good news rise above all of the other news to offer us great joy? And this is good news for us. It was never intended that it would only be good news exclusively for the joy of the shepherds who were out in the fields on that dark and starry night. Nor was it ever intended that this would be good news exclusively for the joy of the people in that place or in that time. It was always meant to reach your ears this morning. And to be received by you as good news for your great joy. And not just good news for your great joy and for your ears, but also good news for the ears and for the joy of your neighbor. 
The angels said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Fear not. This is good news that gives joy and takes away fear. Doesn't that sound exactly like what we need? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, uh, the declaration of the angel in verses 10 and 11 say two things about the boy who had been born in Bethlehem that works to bring us joy and also works to take away our fear. First of all, it says that this boy is the saviour. And secondly, it says that this boy is the Lord. There are very serious news items and global and local issues that we need to contend with. And I'm not dismissing them at all. There are crises of war. There are crises of health. There are environmental crises. There are economic crises. And I'm not suggesting that this good news makes us uh, ignore those or trivialize those. But what I have to come back to, which always combats my temptation to give way to fear and to give way to hopelessness and to resignation about these things... What I have to come back to, which gives me great joy and takes away fear, is that Jesus is Saviour and Jesus is Lord. So today, in this time that we have, we're simply going to look at the story of Jesus, the baby boy of Christmas, the Saviour, and specifically in our focus today, the Lord. We're going to look at Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. And we're going to see what about his lordship works for our fearlessness and also for our joy. Okay? So the first thing that we see is that Jesus, the Lord, is God. That's really just saying more precisely and more plainly what we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord. But this in itself is a powerful truth that works to take away our fears and works for our joy. The gospel, along with all of scripture, presents Jesus as being God. The overwhelming evidence for the deity of Jesus dominated the thought, the belief, and the worship of the church from its earliest days after Pentecost, Jesus uh, regularly called God his Father, and he asserted that he was one with him as being the proper object of faith. The New Testament sees and presents Jesus as creator, judge, and savior, and all of those things are things that only God can do. He is the object of worship, he is frequently addressed in prayer both of which only God should be. So the fearlessness and the abundance of your joy this Christmas is possible because Jesus is 
Lord. And as Lord, he is God. Okay, here's the second thing. Now, I say this in some form every Christmas, because this is a point that I love to make each Christmas. Jesus the Lord is historical. What I mean by that is that the accounts of the birth, the life, the death, and even the resurrection of Jesus are not outlandish or far-fetched claims. The story of Christmas is deeply rooted in human history. It takes place, as Luke 1.5 tells us, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Mary uh, came with Joseph to Bethlehem, which is a town about five miles outside of Jerusalem. Because as we have already read today in Luke 2, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. It's a historical event that can be verified uh, by historians. It says, For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The birth of Jesus happened in a real city, not in a galaxy far, far away, right? Not in a mythical place. You can go to this city. People live there today. Children go to school there. People go to work there. The city's name is Bethlehem, about 10 kilometers uh, out of uh, Jerusalem. It is a completely ordinary city. In fact, its ordinariness is something that makes the Savior's birth there so striking, so compelling, and so meaningful. Did you know in, in Joshua 15, there's, there's a list of a hundred cities in the Judean region where Bethlehem was, and Bethlehem doesn't even rate a mention. It seems that Bethlehem was a traditionally overlooked place. It was considered uh, as being not at all significant among the clans of Judah. And so, and so God chose to bring his magnificent Messiah out of that town, out of this very town. God chooses a small, quiet, often overlooked city, an out-of-the-way town, barely worth a mention. Blink and you miss it. And, and he does something that changes, changes the course of history and the course of all eternity for all of mankind there. And when you think about it, isn't that totally consistent with the performance of God? This is what he does. He chooses the small. He chooses the unimpressive. He chooses the overlooked. He chooses the unlikely, and then he uses them to do great things for the glory of his name. Because when he does things this way, we can't boast like we like to boast about our merits and about our achievements. We can only boast in the glorious mercy and the power of God. God chose the runt, David, to be the king of Israel. And God uh, chose the runt, Bethlehem 
to be the birthplace of our Saviour. So we can't say, well, of course uh, God chose Bethlehem for his son to be born in. Look at the magnificent architecture in that place. Look at the tower they've built. They've even got a Costco, right? <laughs> we can't say those things. We can't boast about the glory of Bethlehem. All we can say is, wow, God is just completely free to do whatever he wants to do, and he's not impressed at all by our bigness. He does nothing in order to attract attention uh, to our accomplishments, but rather he does everything to magnify his glorious freedom and mercy. And he saves the ones who trust in him in such a way to remove all grounds for human boasting. That surely is the deepest meaning of the littleness and the insignificance of the town of Bethlehem. This real, unimpressive, ordinary old city is that God does not give the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation on the basis of our greatness or our merits or our goodness or our achievements. Rather, he saves and he blesses in spite of our insignificance and our failures and our sin. Anyway, this all happened in a real city, is what I'm saying. And the value of these kinds of details is that it gives the writings of scriptures their bearings in history, and thus it gives us the confidence that we're dealing here with something, or rather someone, who is real. There are elements of the story of the gospel that have to be received by faith. But there are also elements of the story of the gospel that you need to be deeply ignorant to deny as history. There is no serious denial that Jesus Christ walked the earth. There is no serious denial that Jesus died uh, via crucifixion. There is no serious denial that Jesus Christ was buried. There is no serious denial that the tomb was discovered to be empty a few days after his burial. There is no serious denial that the followers of Jesus believed that Jesus had risen. In fact, they believed that he had risen uh, so much uh, that uh, they were willing to die for this. There's no serious denial that subsequent to these uh, claims the followers of Jesus and their message had a profound impact on the world. So the fearlessness and the abundance of your joy this Christmas is possible because Jesus the Lord is God. It's also possible because he is real. He's not mythology. He's not fiction. You may accept his salvation and his claims of lordship, or you may not. But you can't seriously deny his reality in human history or his claims. A little worked up for Christmas. Here's the third point. Jesus the Lord is sovereign. Now I know when I say that, it sounds as if I'm saying the same thing as Jesus the Lord is God. Uh, but what I mean by this is that Jesus can and does exercise authority over creation. In fact, uh, that's something we see in the incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas time. God is a God who gets involved. He rolls up his sleeve and he involves sleeves. He's got to. He involves himself in the affairs of mankind. Yeah. 
One of the problematic claims of deism is that the deist believes that God exists, but that he's not directly involved uh, in the world. Uh, Deism paints a picture of God uh, as being powerful, but also aloof and uncaring. He's a kind of a deadbeat God, right? Uh, But Jesus is a more reliable picture of the nature of God, and he demonstrated that God is both powerful and involved. Okay, I want you to come with me over to Luke chapter 8. Come with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to see an example of this. Uh, Luke 8, verse 22. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake And they were filling with water and with danger. And when they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing, he awoke, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? And the answer to the question of the disciples is obvious. The one who made the winds and the waters has authority and exercises authority over them. Now, there's an element of mystery to this with regards to how he exercises authority over creation and also why he does it the way Uh, that he does it. Uh, I'm not claiming to understand all of that completely, uh, but I've I've thought a lot about this. Uh, I'll concede that the idea that there is a king over all creation is perhaps a a little terrifying. Uh, For one thing, it means that we all have to give an account. Uh, it's, It's terrifying but it it is the least terrifying of all of the options. Uh, Because if Satan was sovereign, uh, that would be much more terrifying. Uh, If you were sovereign, that would be a disaster, right? And and if I was sovereign, that would be a disaster. Uh, If there was nobody on the throne, that would be terrifying. So I think that having God as the king, as a benevolent king with all of the implications of that, is by far, far away the best of all possible outcomes. He's a holy God. We need to reckon with that. And Jesus is his reckoning with that. Uh, But Jesus, the sovereign Lord, demonstrates sovereign power and a willingness to exert it over uh, our great enemy, death. And ultimately, he demonstrates his care for us and his willingness to be involved in rising from the dead, which, which leads us to our next point. Jesus is the everlasting Lord. We sung that today, didn't we? Christ the everlasting Lord. The fearlessness and the abundance of your joy this Christmas is possible because he is everlasting. Back in Luke 1... Uh, the angel Gabriel said this to Mary, Behold, 
you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He will reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. If you receive him as Savior and as Lord, you will live forever. He will raise uh, you from the dead and he will bring you with him into everlasting life. The resurrection means that he is never to die again and that we are born again, as Peter says, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the fearlessness and the abundance of your joy this Christmas is possible because Jesus Christ the Lord is God. It's also possible because Jesus is real, because he is sovereign, that he somehow exercises authority over all creation. It's also possible because he is everlasting, thus the joy and the fearlessness that we find in him is durable and is uh, everlasting too. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.